bring to you grace and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Text for today's message, like I said, from Isaiah, and as we come to this word, let's bow our hearts and our heads in prayer. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for the comfort that comes from the name of Jesus. The name that at its core means that you will save your people from their sins. We receive the name of Jesus today. We bear the name of Jesus in our hearts. Our faith is focused on that name. And so today, dear God, build in us a greater comfort. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. So three weeks in, the nuts and bolts of the Christian faith, we have um, talked about character um, and the Ten Commandments and the change, the repentance that is to come because of that. We've talked about our confession um, and how as we lay the groundwork for the Christian faith, for our Christian discipleship, our life with God, theology matters. What does the Bible teach about who God is and what he's done? Um, last week, we talked about our roles and responsibilities in life and said that they are not separate from our life as disciples, but they are integral to it. Who we are in the callings that we bear, that matters to God, and we have opportunity every day to become better in those callings, those roles and responsibilities that God has afforded us. But this week, we come to the final uh, nuts and bolts moment, the aspect that I want to focus on today has to do with an area of discipleship that I don't think the church gives a lot of uh, credence to, um, oftentimes overlooks, minimizes, shuttles to someone else, passes it off to someone outside the Christian church, and, and I want to talk today about what it means to walk with God in the comfort that he gives us, to recognize that we have souls and those souls over time because of experiences that have been inflicted on us from outside by people outside of us and also by our poor choices, these, uh, these souls of ours bear scars. And those scars are not very elastic. They are not very flexible. And when they are antagonized, those scars can break wide open and they can wreak havoc on a human life. They can wreak havoc on a Christian in their discipleship. So today, I want to take a very gingerly step into each of your lives, and I want to talk about the comfort that God wants to bring there, the consolation that Jesus Christ has in store for you, especially around the therapeutic needs of our souls. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that over 25 years of being a pastor, I've had so uh, many people who will come into my office and they will ask, Pastor Seidler, uh, yeah, I got this problem and could really use a neat little maybe pearl of wisdom from God's word and a prayer. Could you do that for me? And of course, I answer, absolutely not. Go figure this out for yourself. <laughs> I don't do that. I, I seriously don't. I don't do that. No, I, of course, I say, of course, come on in. I am, I'm glad to help. And, and so we come in. Now, they want for me, again, just to refresh, a, a, a nice, easy passage that speaks to whatever they have going on, and then finally, a prayer, um, somehow that will make it at least manageable, if not all better. Now, when they get in my office, the thing about me is, is that I'm a, I'm, I'm a troublesome pastor. 
And I'm troublesome because uh, my responsibility is not just to throw out pearls of wisdom and sweet prayers that end, you know, with a nice little bow tied on like a, a Christmas present. Uh, my responsibility is to be a, a prophet and to speak truth into life. And so oftentimes, uh, when people come into my office, uh, there's typically a knowledge on my part, either by them or through other channels, because everybody talks to me, it seems. Um, I know what's kind of going on. And so um, typically, because I know what's going on, uh, before I offer that you know, great scintillating word of God, the Bible passage and prayer, I'll ask the question, well, how are things going? And by the way, how are you, how's, your, how's your diet these days? How are you eating? Are you, are you eating well? Are you getting enough sleep? Um, what are you watching on TV and how long are you on screens? Are you mired in social media or are you getting out and get some exercise? Now, typically by the time I ask these questions as a pastor, um, you can see the, I don't know if they're called wrinkles or cackles or shackles or whatever's on people's backs that indicate anger and frustration and exasperation. I see them start to rise up like an ogre. And, and in some cases, I've had, as a response to those questions, outright anger. You know, Pastor, I just came in for a prayer and a Bible verse. Can you do that? I mean, I'm not here to see my, my primary care physician. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, and then I'll ask more questions. I'm like, so speaking about your primary care physician, when's the last time you got a physical? And, and I understand because you told me six months ago that you were seeing a counselor for this thing. Have you, how's the conversation with the counselor going? What's the counselor telling you? Well, I thought going to the counselor like four months ago. Oh, really? Okay. Um... You still taking medication, you know, kind of that kind of thing. And, and by this time, in some cases, it's, it's just really frustration with me. But here's what I remind people, and I remind even my, my junior high confirmation kids about this. Here's the statement I make. Before you were a Christian, you were a human. Before you were baptized, you were born. I've never pastored anybody who's not a human Christian. Has anybody ever seen a non-human Christian? I mean, I'm not talking about dogs going to heaven. That's another topic. That's another sermon this summer. Come back. If you're winter guests, figure it out. But, but have you ever seen a non-human Christian? You haven't because every Christian is a human. And every human being has a body and a soul and a mind and a spirit. And, and all of that it takes, takes taking care of. And if, if all of a sudden, has anybody ever seen a 13-year-old boy who's hangry? What do you do? I mean, you think they're possessed by the devil. They're not. They're bottoming out on carbohydrates. Just feed them carbs. Just stuff them with carbs. And all of a sudden, it's the happiest little world you ever found. It's the greatest thing. You know, so my point is, is that our human body, it, it takes management. And, and so often... You expect a prayer and a Bible verse to all of a sudden get you over a hump, and I just want to say, how about you drink some water? Just water instead of Diet Coke for an entire day. Now you think, man, well, Pastor Sile, that's not really spiritual. No, it's completely spiritual because this is part of our first article of the creed. I believe that God made me and all my members. He knit me together, and this body takes taking care of. Now we come to a different place, and as people will come into my life, I want to know, how are you dealing with the scars? 
You want a Bible verse and you want a prayer. I want to go deeper than that. Because the scars that the world's evil inflicts on us can be substantial and they last a lifetime. They last a lifetime. And my commitment is I've got to find ways to deal with the evil that brought that scarring into your soul if we're going to progress and really have you become the disciple that God wants you to be. Today is a very risky day, especially if you've got some deeply held scars that have not been successfully dealt with. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and this is a disclosive pastor story, okay? Now, as I tell you this disclosive story about experiences in my life and family, I want to make two rules. This is not a story about me. It's illustrative, and I hope that you will see how quickly it gets taken up in your own life. So it's a disclosive story, but not self-absorbed. And the second thing is you have to laugh along the way, okay? Because it really is a funny story. And it was, it's a funny story because my wife, Renee, in the middle end of the story, was laughing hysterically at me, okay? So it's a, it's a laugh funny story. So it was a very, uh, several years back, very difficult uh, time in ministry. There was just a lot, of, a lot of heavy stuff going on in the congregation, both at the congregational level and in some members of my congregation individually that I was, I was in the thick of it, thick of it. And it was a very dark time in ministry. And by the end of the summer, my wife comes up, my wife Renee comes up to me and she says, Scott, I think it's time for you to go see Chris. Now, Chris was my counselor. She worked with Lutheran Family and Children's Services. She was like everybody's mom. She was just great. She was easy to talk to and it was fabulous. And I had met Chris after a couple tragedies had happened um, in Kirkwood and in our congregation, and I needed someone to come in and professionally do a professional psychiatric, psychological debriefing of our staff in a post-traumatic stress environment. And so Chris came in, and she was unbelievably good, so good. Well, we all fell in love with Chris because she was so patient, and she wasn't like psycho weird, you know, counselor, you know what I'm talking about, like just, you know, tell me about your mother. And I'm like, no, I don't want to tell you about my mother. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Chris was great. And so lo and behold, like most of the staffs just started to go see Chris on an individual basis when they got tightly wound. And so whenever I went in to see Chris on an individual basis, Chris would, of course, say, well, Scott, how are things going? And I would say, well, why don't you tell me? You've talked with half my staff this past week. Tell me how bad and messed up my life is, you know, that kind of thing. So anyways, I would go in and talk to Chris. And on this particular occasion, Renee, after this summer, Renee said, uh, Scott, I think it's time for you to go see Chris. And I said, well, why? And she says, well, you're a little, you're a little high strung a little tightly wound, a bit tense, if you will. And I go, no, I'm not. I'm fine. <laughs> Truly, this is how, this, seriously, I'm not exaggerating this at all. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, Renee knows me. I'll go see Chris. So I go in and see Chris. Now, as a counselor, you know that when you go in and see a counselor, the worst thing you can say is, I'm not here by my own free will. I'm here because someone else is making me, you know? And so I go in, and Chris knows that I know this. And so as Chris asks that question, and I say, well, Renee made me, She's like, do you realize how unhealthy you are right now? I go, I know. I'll, apparently, everybody else does as well, except for me, because I think I'm fine, right? And so anyways, so we sit down, and Chris, in, in the most just insightful and thoughtful way, you know, just starts kind of unwinding some events. And by the time we're about 15 or 20 minutes in, she says to me, you know, Scott, just, 
I want you to go back. Now, this is where it gets a little psycho crazy. I'm not going to disagree with you. Just hang with me through the rest of this story. She goes, tell me, tell me about Scott Seidler when you were 16 years old. So I try to remember, you know, what life is like when I was like a junior in high school and 16 years old. And then she says, about 15 minutes later, tell me about Scott Seidler when you were 13 years old. And then finally she gets down to eight years old. Now, interestingly enough, 16, 13, and eight were the ages of my children at this point in time. And we get to the end of me kind of chronicling 16, 13, and eight-year-old Scotty Seidler. And, and she says this. She says, you know... I think this is a great place for you to start. She says, you've got a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 8-year-old, and here's what I just want you to remember. They are not you, and you are not them. And she said, you know, part of what I think is going on, as you're getting older, you've entered midlife crisis time, you know, kind of thing, she said, I just need you to remember that when your kids go through various seasons of their life, you don't have to rehearse all the insecurity and anxiety of your own life. And it was just, it was, in, it was enlightening because my children were, were growing up and I was growing up and Renee was growing up and we were changing as a family and blah, 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 blah. And so I sat there and I thought for a little bit and I said, now Chris, if I'm hearing you right, that means when my daughter Abby is 21, my daughter Lauren is 18, and my son Connor is 13, I'm going to go through this train wreck again. And she goes, yeah, exactly. You're going to be a train wreck for the rest of your life. I said, sweet. So good. Now, how much is my deductible for that? Right? So, now, this is a true story. So, I go back home. And Renee knows Chris, and, and, you know, we've seen Chris and her husband. So in, in St. Louis Lutheranism, everybody knows each other. So Renee knows Chris, and it's all, we're all big, one happy family. So I burst into the, to the house and, you know, throw my arms up, and Renee's there, and I go, guess what, guess what? I don't have to go back. I'm cured. And Renee, she's like, shut up. And I go, no, seriously, I am one and done, and I am golden. But get this, honey. You're a mess too. <laughs> That's true statement. I said that to her. I, I'm telling you right now, that, that one meeting where Chris helped me understand that we carry forward, and it doesn't have to be super traumatic. It can just be insecurities, anxieties, but we carry all of us forward from our past into our present experiences, some that are traumatic. I'll talk about those in just a second. But, you know, there's one phrase as a history major in college I've always loved, past is prologue. Say that with me, would you? Past is prologue. What that means is our past is the prologue in the book of our life for the future. And if we're not serious about revisiting some of the more anxious, um, traumatic times in our past, what tends to end up happening is we get gripped by past unknowingly in our present into the future. And that, my friends, listen to this now, that can affect our discipleship. I spent an entire summer, according to Renee, where my calling as a father and a husband was in some ways compromised because my fuse was going shorter as my internal emotional self was trying to wrestle with getting older, getting grayer, getting plumper, getting lots plumper, you know, and, and kind of working through all of that. And that's just, by the way, 
for all of us in the room, that's just the normal. The reality is there is something that really is called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Typically, we hear about that only when we are talking about people who come back from war or have gone through a serious um, and significant natural disaster, maybe experienced a terrorist event or, a, or a, a violent crime. But I'm convinced, as I've been a pastor now, that post-traumatic stress disorder comes to those who have been in a workplace with an abusive boss, can be uh, in a home with a manipulative, emotionally speaking spouse or parent. A post-traumatic stress can come from childhood abuse. Post-traumatic stress can come from really, really bad choices that land you in a hospital on a respirator because you took too much of that substance. Post-traumatic stress is real, and I think that we don't take seriously the fact that post-traumatic stress is more at work in our world than we give it credit for. Post-traumatic stress can happen when you exit the halls of a high school in which you were truly bullied. There was a pecking order, as there is in all human society, but that pecking order was destructive. Um, a locker room where you were never the top athlete and you were reminded of that by the top athletes every successive season that you were in the sport because you were not going to quit. But that commitment not to quit still left a scar on your soul. God comes to his people after 39 chapters of Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 40. And God says to his people after a long time in exile where they have borne the scars of great trial, outside abuse and choices that they have made that only compounded their pathology. And God finally comes to them and says, comfort, comfort for my people. It's time, it's time for someone to speak tenderly to stop antagonizing the scar tissue so that healing can begin. Today is a day that we take seriously in our discipleship as a nuts and bolts topic that there is scar tissue in each of us that in a specific season needs to be confronted, stared down, and addressed with the victory that God gives us in Jesus Christ. For some of you, we started four weeks ago and you said after the end of that message, in this next season of my Christianity, I need to get after an issue of moral purity and holiness. Two weeks ago, some of you came away and said, you know, I need to give myself over to learning a little bit more about theology, what God has done in Jesus Christ and who he is as a, as a being. Last week, some of you came and you were really touched, really touched by the fact that in this moment, I have an opportunity to accelerate in my specific calling as a husband or a wife, a dad, a single, a this or a that. And you, you committed, I am, I am in the new year, I'm going to get after that area of change. Today, some of you may be saying there is a place of scar tissue in me that runs deep, is severely inflexible. And it is, a, 
It is a chain on the spiritual health and well-being of my soul. It is pulling me under. And maybe today, as I preach this message, as I reference this passage from Isaiah 40, you hear the voice of God saying, it's time to confront that area of your life and to know that there's comfort there. The church, this congregation, is here not just to be holy, not just to be theologically correct, not just to inspire people in their various roles and responsibilities. We are, as Audrey Christensen reminded me earlier, we are a hospital for souls. And we need to be available. This pastor needs to be available to help human souls start healing again. It's Christmas, Shepherd. And as we celebrate Christmas, we know that Jesus Christ came into this manger to confront and stare down the works of evil and to walk patiently through this world over 30-plus years and go to a cross where in one fell swoop with the words, it is finished, he said, your warfare now can be over. It is over in me. That's the gospel. That's our hope. And that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is the nuts and bolts of our Christian faith that God says, adopt these. Make these the centerpiece of your discipleship journey. And if this comfort is something that would be valuable for you, just know I am a phone call away. And I'm glad to help along with Pastor Allen and the rest of our church and staff. With all of that being said, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. Well, thank you, Lord, for a run of messages that allow us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and who perfects our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He scorned its shame. He sat down at the right hand of God and we consider the cross and his victory through it as we endure sin and evil in this world ourselves. Grant us grace, Heavenly Father, to grow as your disciples. And more than that, grant us joy in the journey. For we call on the matchless name of Jesus and say in his name, amen.